0: Welcome to Walker With Worlds Podcast, my name is Rachel and this is a podcast where we step behind the veil to take a look at some long lost and little known spooky stories and urban legends. Today's spooky stories probably fall more into the realm of dark folklore, but they're so fascinating that I couldn't help but tell them. It's said that Disney is the happiest place on earth, but what if I told you there was a theme park which could put Disney to shame? Some people know the place that we're talking about and all of them will tell you not to compare it to Disney. It's sometimes called a nightmarish wonderland. For those of us who don't know where we're talking about, let's begin. Nestled in the trees approximately 15 kilometres north of the Dutch city of Tilburg is Efteling. Opened in 1952, this theme park has been thrilling people from around the world for over 70 years. And, like Disney, its rides take inspiration from tales and legends. However, unlike Disney, a lot of these stories haven't been sanitised and cleaned up. This isn't the theme park for you to go looking for Snow White and Cinderella. Instead, you'll find a healthy mix of local legends, folklore and fairy tales. And that's what we're here for. We always are. We're here for the dark stories. If you're a fan of the park and you don't want to know the stories or have plans to visit and don't want the surprises to be ruined, this is your cue to stop listening. It's okay. I'll give you a minute to close this down. Are they gone? Okay, let's begin. For this episode, I'm going to give you the English translations as often as possible. I don't need annoyed or possibly amused Dutch people in my inbox. They already think I'm funny enough because I'm so tiny. But let's go and hit up our first ride. (sighs) Nowhere in your house nor in any other place in the world will you find peace. Only when a noble person with a clear conscience like that of a newborn child enters your house will you find peace in your home and in your heart. Tucked away on the edge of the park is what, at first glance, looks like an unassuming villa. Sash windows overlook the grounds and steps ascend to a pair of double doors. But behind the doors is a building far more mysterious on the inside than the outside. The story of Villa Volta is based on the legend of the book riders, a fierce and merciless grand gang of robbers that was active in the Dutch provinces of North Brabant, where Efteling is located, and Limburg. Volta is supposed to be the home of the leader of the goat riders, Hugo. The house and Hugo were cursed by a mysterious woman after Hugo robbed the Abbey of Postel. She can be seen on top of the house, swinging her arms in the wind. Volta was the first ride of its kind and was given the name of Madhouse. The attraction features a unique and mesmerising effect called the Tilting Room. The room physically rotates, giving visitors the sensation of being turned upside down and mimicking the curse that plagues Hugo in his house. This innovative technique creates an immersive experience, making guests feel as if they have entered the cursed world of Villa Volta. Throughout the ride, visitors encounter several ghostly apparitions and witness the chaotic aftermath of Hugo's curse. The story concludes the climatic scene where the curse is ultimately broken and Hugo's misdeeds are undone. While Hugo appears to be a figment of the Ride Creator's imaginations, the group that he was a part of was probably very much real. In the 18th century, groups of thieves and criminals co opted the legend that ghosts and demons rode through the sky on the backs of goats. Using the name Book Riders, these criminal bands launched across regions that include South Limburg and parts of Germany in the Netherlands. Commonly, the Book Riders raided peaceful communities and farms. Several confessed Book Riders were convicted and sentenced to death. Because of the link to the occult, authorities accused a large number of potentially innocent men of being bookriders, and a number were tortured and subsequently convicted of crimes they denied having committed. Formerly, the name riders was first publicly used in 1774 during the trial of Wellen, a town in the Belgian province of Limburg. Johan Mason slid a letter underneath the door of a farmer. The letter contained a threat that the house would be burned down unless he paid up. Johann claimed to be a member of the bookriders and used the word Satan up to three times in his letter. In the trial of Welland, the term book riders is openly used against Philip Mertens, who wrote a similar threatening letter. Earliest records mentioning the book riders originates from a book called "Causes, Proof, and Discovery of a Godless, Averted Gang of Night Thieves and Gaggers within the Lands of Overmass and Adjacent Regions." This book was written in 1779 by Pastor a. Daniels. This pastor, who lived in Landgraf, knew several book riders personally. The author tells us that these robbers made a pact with the devil and rode their goats at night. The common people told stories about them flying through the sky, pronouncing the following spell. Across houses, across gardens, across stakes, even across cologne into the wine cellar. Once a year, the book riders would visit their master, the devil. Baron 1898 is a dive coast which opened in July 2015. Themed around, the gold, themed around a gold mine, the story that surrounds the ride is that in 1898, the wealthy Baron Gustav is led to discover a nearby cave that is rich in gold deposits by a spirit known as the Fit Feevin otherwise known as the wise or white women. However, this spirit gives Gustav the admonition that if he disturbs the golds in any way, he will suffer terrible consequences for the remainder of his life. In an attempt to circumnavigate the spirit's threat, Gustav presses the destitute locals into working in his newly opened gold mine, where many of the workers suffer catastrophic accidents or are chased out of the case by the Fifth Even, and her supernatural cohorts. The white women are often described as both the spirits of wise women and as fairy-like beings dressed in veils of fog and dresses of mist. While some believe the white women originated from the memory of pagan wise women, others think the legends stem from the Germanic belief in design, land whites, and elves. Historically, the white women are thought to be wise female herbalists and medicine healers who took care of the people's physical and mental ailments. It was said that they had the talent for prophecy and looking into the future. They had a high status in the communities and so when they died, ceremonies were held at their gravesites to honour them. According to mythology, their spirits remained on earth and they became living spirits or elven beings that either helped or hindered people who encountered them. They tended to reside in the burial sites or other sacred places. It was thought that mist on a grave hill was the spirit of the wise woman appearing and people would bring offerings and ask for help. White women don't appear to wait by the roadside but instead inhabit passage graves and other tombs in addition to Mott and Bailey castles. Although it appears they did have some freedom of movement and would sometimes travel outwards to the fields and forests surrounding their domain. In some tales, they would dance and tempt those who came across them to follow them. Although it is not clear where they would be led, many were never seen again. Like banshees, sometimes seeing them was believed to be a bad omen, or even a sign of looming death. In a story close to what happens when one enters a fairy wing, the wise women of Mount Flon drove a farmer quite mad. A farmer called Gert van Beck was sitting in a tavern ordering beer after beer at the end of the evening he was totally drunk and decided to leave. But other people in the tavern advised him to stay a little longer because this was a time when the white women were roaming the forest. Don't you know that the white women are on the prowl at 12 o'clock during full moon? Just wait a little longer before you go. The farmer laughed about this and said, if I encounter any of them I'll ask her for a dance and he went outside. On the way back to his house in the village of Big, he took a shortcut through the forest and suddenly he saw strings of mist appearing between the trees. He could not see a thing and all around him was the grey shroud of the fog. He saw figures being formed in the mist and suddenly three white women appeared in front of him, of which one approached. Gert was still very drunk and imprudently he asked her to dance with him. The white woman grabbed him and started dancing. She continued through the entire night and would not stop. Gert desperately tried to free himself but he had no control over his body anymore and had to continue with the white woman's death dance. The sweat poured from his face and he begged her to stop but she continued and made him dance like he'd never done before. The next morning Gert's body was found by some villagers after he had literally danced himself to death. In some places where one finds these dwellings of the white women one will hear the inhabitants declare that in some of these great mounds the women used to live. That they used to be haunted and that they used to hear terrible cries, moans and laments of men and women. That day and night the white women fetched and helped women during labour, even when all seemed desperate. That they predicted people, their good and bad fortunes, and that they pointed out the hiding place of things that had been lost or stolen. That the people honoured them and recognised all that was godly in them. That some of the inhabitants had, on occasion, been inside of these mountains, and had seen and heard the incredible things there, but had been made to swear on their lives not to speak of it. That they had quickly than any creature that they had always been dressed in white and were called not white women but simply whites because of it. So if you see a figure cloaked in fog, don't stop but keep walking, for they may be trying to tempt you to your death. Our final story is one that many people will know. With a name like the Flying Dutchman, you'd think that this ride would be your traditional swinging ship, but it isn't. Efteling's Flying Dutchman is part log flume and part dark ride. Visitors enter the house of van der Deken while queuing. After walking through this abandoned house, the queue continues into the smugglers tunnels where the treasure can be seen hidden behind a small door. The tunnel ends in the cellar of a 17th century pub and the queue leads into a harbour at night. In the harbour, the carriages are designed as small wooden boats in which riders are seated below the water level throughout most of the ride. At the front of the boat is a lantern that acts as the only source of light for most of the indoor experience. The lantern starts flickering, depending on the scene the riders are located in. The carriages hold a maximum of 14 riders at a time, arranged in four rows. But what of the Flying Dutchman? Many people will know the story of a ghostly ship appearing on the high seas in order to frighten or warn sailors. But how did it all come about? The first print reference to the ship appears appears in travels in parts of Europe, Asia and Africa during a series of 30 years in Upwich. This was published in 1790 by John MacDonald. And in the book it says that the weather was so stormy that the sailors said they saw the flying Dutchman. The common story is that this Dutchman came to the Cape in distress of weather and wanted to get into harbour but could not get a pilot to conduct her and was lost and that ever since in very bad weather her vision appears. The next literary reference appears in Chapter 6 of A Voyage to Botany Bay, which was published in 1795 and is attributed to George Barrington. He says, I had often heard of the superstition of sailors respecting apparitions and doom, but had never given much credit to the report. It seems that some years since a Dutch man-of-war was lost off the Cape of Good Hope, and every soul on board perished. Her consort weathered the gale and arrived soon after at the Cape. Having refitted and returning to Europe, they were sailed by a violent tempest nearby in the same latitude. In the night, watch, some of the people saw, or imagined they saw, a vessel standing for them, under a press of sail as though she would run them down. One in particular affirms that it was the ship that had fallen, founded in the former Gale, and that it must certainly be her or the apparition of her. But on its clearing up the object, a dark thick cloud disappeared. Nothing could do away the idea of this phenomenon on the minds of the sailors and on their relating the circumstances when they arrived in port, the story spread like wildfire and the supposed phantom called the Flying Dutchman. From the Dutch, the English seamen got the infatuation and there were very few Indian men. What has someone seen on board who pretends to have seen the apparition? According to some sources, 17th century Dutch captain Bernard Fokker is the model for the captain of the ghost ship. Fokker was renowned for the speed of his trips from the Netherlands to Java and was suspected of being in league with the devil. The first version of the legend as a story was printed in Blackwood's Edinburgh magazine for May 1821, which puts the scene as the Cape of Good Hope. This story introduces the name of Captain Hendrik van der Deeken for the captain and the motives elaborated by later writers of letters addressed to people long dead being offered to other ships for delivery, but if accepted will bring misfortune and the captain having sworn to round the Cape of Good Hope, though it should take until the Day of Judgment. She was an Amsterdam vessel and sailed from port 70 years ago. Her master's name was van der Deeken. He was a staunch seaman and would have his own way in spite of the devil. For all that, never a sailor under him had reason to complain, though how it is on board with them, nobody knows. The story is this, that in doubling the cape, they were on a long day trying to weather the table bay. However, the wind headed them, and went against them more and more, and van walked the deck swearing at the wind. Just after sunset, a vessel spoke to him, asking him if he did not mean to go into the bay that night. Van Der replied, ''May I be eternally damned if I do, though I should beat about here till the day of judgment.'' And to be sure, he never did go into that bay, for it is believed he continues to beat about in these seas still, and will do so long enough. The vessel is never seen, but with foul weather along with her. Other sources suggest that the Flying Dutchman was commandeered by a notorious captain. He was proud and ambitious sailor who was determined to reach his destination despite the harsh weather conditions. He defied God by swearing an oath that he would round the Cape of Good Hope no matter how long it took. God punished the captain and his crew with an eternal curse. The ship would never reach its destination and hence they were doomed to sail the seas forever. They were troubled by notorious waves and fierce gales and all who saw the ship were said to be doomed. There have been many reported or alleged sightings in the 19th and 20th centuries. A well-known sighting was by Prince George of Wales, the future King George V. He was on a three-year voyage during his late adolescence in 1880 with his elder brother Prince Albert Victor of Wales and their tutor John Neil Dalton. They temporarily shipped into HMS Inconstant after the damaged rudder was repaired in their original ship. The Prince's log records the following for the pre-dawn hours of the eleventh of July 1881 off the coast of Australia. July 11th at 4am the flying Dutchman crossed our bows. A strange red light as of a phantom ship all aglow in the midst of which light the masts, spars and sails of a brig 200 yards distance stood out in strong relief as she came up on the port bow where also the officer of the watch from the bridge clearly saw her as did the quarter deck midshipman who was sent forward at once to the forecastle. But on arriving there was no sign whatsoever of any material ship. Thirteen persons altogether saw her. At 10.45am, the ordinary seaman who had this morning reported the Flying Dutchman fell from the four topmast cross trees onto the topgallant forecastle and was smashed to atoms. The ride was supposed to originally open on the 16th of April 2006, pretty much exactly 328 years after the disappearance of the original Flying Dutchman. However, it was delayed nearly a year due to construction issues. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is three of the tales from one of the most beautiful theme parks in Europe. If you decide to visit, you'll be treated to endless folklore and fairy tales set in the depths of the woods. But just be careful because you don't know who's waiting for you around every corner. Thank you so much for listening. If you like your books a little on the strange side, please do check, feel free to check out our website at www.roswellpublishing.co.uk and until next time, stay spooky.